0: Well, good morning restore um if you are joining us for the first time this morning or if you're new here this morning uh, my name is justin i'm one of the pastors here uh we have been exploring uh resurrection uh since easter so most of us understand the reality of i'm a christian that means that jesus died for my sins and then at some point he was raised from the dead that must mean something uh, but, but most of us, we, we kind of see the transaction as having occurred uh, at the at the death of Jesus. like that that was the culmination. Jesus says uh, it is finished on the cross. And we kind of think that's that's what Jesus came to do. He came to die uh, or came to die for my sins. And while that is certainly true, i'm not I'm not discrediting that. I'm not saying that that is not true. Um, I am saying that the reality of resurrection uh, as a Christian leads to more than just Jesus died. The resurrection of Jesus means that there's a power uh, in the resurrected life of who he is, and then a power that we as Christians have available to us. And so all, all four of your gospel writers, that's Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John they all pick up on this motif uh, of, of, of crucifixion and resurrection as being this new creation so so when we think of Jesus dying uh, most of your gospel writers write this as he died on the seventh day uh, sorry uh, uh, on the sixth day of creation that was a Friday right we still it this good Friday he kid it is finished this is similar to when God created the heavens and the earth Uh, He declared all of it was good. He declared it as finished. Then Jesus is in the grave on the seventh day. This is in creation. Uh, We read in Genesis that God created the heavens and the earth. And on the seventh day, he rested. And so on that seventh day, Jesus rests in the tomb. But then Easter comes. This is the eighth day of creation. And on the eighth day of creation... Jesus is raised from the dead. And so all of your gospel writers begin to see uh, the the resurrection of Jesus uh, as new creation. Uh, And so when that happens, um, there's this profound sense of healing uh, that begins to take place. There's this profound sense of newness. There's this profound sense of new power that begins to take place when Jesus has been raised from the dead. And what Paul and most of your New Testament writers begin to see is this is a power that is available to you. It's not just that Jesus died for your sins, end of transaction, God now tolerates you, I'll put up with you, uh, your failures I'll look past or I'll ignore or I'll accept, and therefore I will tolerate you in the afterlife. But rather, this new creation uh, that occurs because of the resurrection of Jesus uh, begins to break, make these things in us whole that were broken before. So, our suspicions and our indifference and even our resentment towards God uh, began to be healed, began to take shape uh, as some kind of wholeness and healing. This is also true uh, of our relationships with one another. Those things that have alienated us from the presence of God have now begun to, uh, to fix, to bring hold, to recreate, or to restore us to communion with Him. Loving, Intimacy and holy communion with God. This is what he desires. This is more than just, hey, you uh, are coming into heaven. I'm going to accept you, right? Like, the, I'm, I see all the bad things you've done, but because I've forgiven you, I'm going to let you in and tolerate you. This is a deep desire on God's heart and in God's part to reconcile, to bring, and to make whole. And so Paul will write about this. We've been exploring different passages in our New Testament that explore uh, the reality of resurrection, Uh, but Paul will talk about this uh, in Galatians. Uh, If you have your Bibles, we're going to be in Galatians 6, but the words will be behind me also on the screen. Uh, And one of the things that Paul will say uh, with this resurrection uh, is he'll begin to compare his life to both crucifixion with Jesus and then resurrection with Jesus. This is symbolic in baptism, right? When we go down into the water, uh, that is a symbolism of like we are dying or we being crucified to our old ways? When we come up out of the water, that's symbolism to we are being resurrected to Jesus to new wholeness and to new life. So Paul writes in Galatians 14, uh, he says this, "But far be it for me to boast." of God let me pray for us this morning and we'll get started father would you be with us um, we need you would you help us Would you have mercy on us father we need the power of your resurrection this morning would you help us to explore that uh, to live into that to trust that father would you uh, allow your resurrected spirit to make us whole to make us new in you, Father, we love you. Let me pray all of these things in your name. Amen. So, one of the things that Paul says here is he says, uh, "For neither circumcision counts for anything, nor uncircumcision for anything, but new creation." Uh, so, so translated more bluntly, Paul basically says, "Circumcision, nothing; uncircumcision, nothing." Uh, so, in our modern context, we're like, "What is what is the circumcision?" conversation even matter. What is that about? Um, what Paul is really saying is he's, he's alluding to uh, the Old Testament, uh, which was the law of God given to uh, the people of God, which Paul will talk about a little bit more here in Galatians in just a second. But, but what Paul is alluding to is there's been this way that you are used to relating to God, and it has a whole lot to do with how you participate, like how you show up How competent you are, how moral you are, uh, how religious you are, how faithfully obedient you are. And so Paul's making an incredibly radical claim here. Uh, We may not see this when he says circumcision, nothing, uncircumcision, nothing. Uh, This is my paraphrasing of what Paul has said, but he's basically just said whether you honor the Bible or not doesn't matter whether you honor the bible nothing whether you don't honor the bible at all nothing okay and i'm pushing here but like there's this radical thing that paul has just said here because, right, so, so we, we picture Bible uh, uh, as our 66 books of the Bible. where We've got this book that we call it the Holy Bible. There's some sitting back there on the connect table. Uh, uh, but, but for them in the old, at the time that Paul is writing this, circumcision uh, and kind of using some of this language uh, was also similar to saying scripture. When Paul talks about law, he's basically saying scripture. When he talks about circumcision, he's basically saying scripture. And so when Paul says circumcision, nothing, non-circumcision, nothing, what he's saying is whether you have honored God with everything that you have or you do not honor God at all, neither of these are, are, are what is influential in new creation. Neither of these are what matters in new creation. So could we just stop for just a second to see how radical what Paul is just saying is. What he's just saying is whether you orient your life to the point where you make radical changes even to your body doesn't matter anymore in light of resurrection Whether you've completely ignored that or not doesn't matter in light of resurrection and light of new creation. This is says, but it is a new creation. And so what he says is, by all of those who walk by this rule, peace and mercy upon them. He goes on in verse 24, so then the law was our guardian until Christ came. In order that we might be justified by faith. Okay, so so uh, just a second here. Paul uses this word "guardian." Uh, could be translate. Like, we could translate it "nanny" or, or "taskmaster." What Paul is saying is, you've had this frame of reference for how you relate to God that is entirely and completely dependent on uh, how you relate to Him what you offer to him, the sacrifices that you give to him, the, the, the uh, ways that you honor his law. And Paul says this was a guardian or a nanny or, or a taskmaster until Christ has come. And what Paul is challenging the Galatians here. This letter, this book is written uh, to uh, a group of people in Galatia. This is the Galatians that he's writing to. What he is challenging them with is something entirely radical and entirely new. And what he is saying is the ways that you are used to following God, the ways that you've religiously followed God, have been told to religiously follow God, the ways that you uh, follow his rule book, so to speak. This has been like a nanny, a taskmaster. This has been like an overly watchful person uh, who has controlled you and governed you uh, and restricted you. But now that you are in Christ, now that Jesus has come, there is a new way. But now that faith has come, he says, we are no longer under a guardian. We are no longer under the taskmaster. We are no longer under his rule. For in Christ Jesus, you are all sons of God through faith. Okay, so... What Paul has just really opened the door for us here is grace. Radical, relentless, inclusive grace. This kind of grace that does not stop, does not relent, and does not bias itself based on any kind of performance given. What Paul has just done is he's compared religious duty to being a nanny like an overbearing babysitter. And what Paul is saying is there's this radical new way of freedom that is being offered in grace to you. He's also reminding the Galatians that God himself is no longer suspicious of them, or resentful towards them, or judgmental towards them. Because of this new law in Christ, to this new radical grace, God has accepted them fully. He then goes, and what we think he says here is 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 actually a baptismal creed. He says, uh, there is neither Jew nor Greek, neither slave nor free. There is neither male nor female, for you are all in Christ Jesus. And if you are a Christ, then you are Abraham's offspring, heirs according to the promise. Okay, so what he's probably citing here when he talks about you're neither slave nor free nor greek nor jew is a creed a baptismal creed and he's reminding them right so when they when they would get baptized they would take off all of Not all of their clothes, but they would take off any of their identifying clothes that identified them as, as either rich or poor or identified them culturally or ethnically. They would take all of this off as they went under the water to be crucified with Christ. When they were raised with Christ out of the water, this is what they were now. And so Paul is reminding them, uh, the, you are not whatever it was that you came uh, for. That doesn't mean he's saying, let's abolish individual identity. That's not what he's proposing. But what he is saying is, regardless of what it was that has bound you, controlled you, I, like, defined you for your entire life, this now, long, now fades into the significance, fades into the background when you consider the power of Jesus. The identity in Jesus. You could almost say Paul is saying, uh, you are not, you're not a failure or, or a success, you are in Jesus. You are not a good person or a bad person, you are in Jesus. You are a new creation in Jesus. You are neither a secure person or an insecure person anymore. You are neither a failure or a success anymore. You are in Christ. And what Paul is doing here is he's trying to promote a radical freedom, uh, a radical identity in who Jesus is that they uh, aren't accustomed to. Right? So this is, this is why Paul has to talk about freedom in Christ uh, and the law so often. Uh, It's because what happens with the Galatians is as Paul came in and he taught this new radical freedom uh, in Jesus, in Christ, there were teachers that came behind them that said, but also there's these other things that you need to be following. There's these other rules that you need to be adhering to in order for God to accept you, in order for God to come and be near to you, you have to also follow these things, adhere to these things, like know these scriptures. And what Paul will say in Galatians is it is fragmenting your mind as you listen to this. The word he used literally like you are fragmented. It is disheveling you in ways inside your brain. It is destroying your personal peace. To have all of these added things about how to relate to God and how he wants you to relate to him, like being thrown into the mix here. You're listening to it. But this is where Paul will step back and say, But I want you to see the freedom that you have in Christ. Okay, so, so um this this is radical enough um, that even as as I thought about it this morning, like this is the kind of stuff that like I don't know, can get you. That was impeccable timing uh, on that. I'm not sure what happened there, but we'll just move to the handheld. Uh, okay, so so um, what Paul is really getting at here, um, what he wants the Galatians to see, uh, is he wants them to see just how counterintuitive freedom in Christ actually is. The love of Jesus actually is. You see, I think, I think most of us, w- we like the idea of being radically accepted by God, radically included by God. But then when it comes down to it, we want to enslave ourselves all over again. Could God really accept me just as I am? Could God really uh, accept me um, just as I am? What about all of these sinful habits I have that don't go away? What about all of these addictive habits I have that I can't seem to overcome? What about all these insecurities that keep coming back up? What about all of these ways that I've struggled to feel accepted by God? And I think most of us, if we're being honest with our relationship with God and like who we are in him, is that we long to be back under some kind of system where we can measure where we are in our standing. And What Paul is proposing to the Galatians, what he's radically proposing to them is this system in which you are accustomed uh, to measuring where you stand with God is gone because of who you are in Christ. So many of us in Gal- have heard that the, the famous passage in Galatians about the fruit of the Spirit Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, gentleness, and self-control. Paul will finish that, right? So, so we, we hear that list. Uh, And we hear that list is like a rules of sort of expected behaviors even that like when I remember I was little uh, We had a Sunday school song where we'd sing this uh, And it was kind of implied like these are the ways that if you're a christian and if you follow jesus This is how you behave. These are the kinds of things you see love joy peace. This is how you this is like This is the expected standard of behavior But how does that end? love joy peace patience kindness gentleness and self-control what does paul say at the end of that against such things there is no law and so we read what paul's saying there uh there is no law Uh, primarily as um paul sort of saying like if you do these things you won't get in trouble with the popo ever Right? Like, there's no law you can break if you're loving and kind and gentle and patient. But when Paul says there is no law against these things, he's not referring to the Roman law. He's not writing in the Galatians and be like, you guys will avoid jail time if you do these things. Remember, when Paul says law, he's referring to Scripture, Okay, just like when he uses these, uh, when he refers to circumcision and uncircumcision. And by the way, if you're not familiar with some of these words, um, I know that I'm not going to explain circumcision and uncircumcision. Don't worry, Um, but I will. I will try to give a little bit of cultural context of what it means for them. Is that this was part of the part of how God distinguished His people in the Old Testament from others was circumcision. And so there were all these instructions and rules and guides on, on sort of how to uh, have their identity with God secure. Uh, and circumcision was, was a part of that identity. Along with law. So when Paul says against such thing there is no law, what Paul is saying is against these things there is no scripture that you could possibly violate. So, as the Galatians were learning about this freedom in Christ, these teachers were coming in and saying, You've got to know this, you've got to know this, and you've got to learn this passage, and you've got to know this one, and you've got to follow these rules and these dietary constrictions, and you can celebrate these holidays, but not these ones. And so they were going down this long list of things that the Galatians had to do uh, in order to feel, uh, in order to see themselves as secure in their relationship with God. But Paul says, you're looking at it from the wrong angle. When you are in Christ, this love, this joy, this peace, this patience, this kindness, this gentleness that his spirit starts to produce in you. This is how you measure spiritual maturity. This is how you measure knowing who God is when you see these things manifesting and materializing in your life. It's actually not how much scripture you know or how many rules you followed. It's actually not where you are in the system. Right, that's what we cling to and long to as people is where do I fit in the system? How does God look at my life right now? Does he approve of it or does he not approve of it? Okay, so I'm I'm not saying that all of these questions are irrelevant. That's not necessarily what I'm saying. But what I am getting at here is that Paul has a radically uh, different view of what grace means for the Galatians. And he says, instead of starting to look at, like, here's all the things I can do to measure right by God, Instead, he says, here's the ways that you will begin to see the spirit of Christ, this resurrected Christ moving in your hearts and in your community. It's love and joy and peace and patience and kindness and gentleness. Against these things, there is no law. And so what Paul is saying is for all of your anxiety that you have, all of your like ways that you're wrapped up in trying to figure out, does God approve of this or not approve of this? Does he care about me? Does he not care about me? Does he see me? Does he not see me? Am I going to heaven? Am I not going to heaven? All of these questions that you have that are wrapped up in all of this anxiety, which Paul says is like being deeply fragmented in your mind, like this insecurity that you have, this fear that you have, this deep need for control that you have, Instead, start looking for love and joy and peace. When the Spirit of God, this resurrected Jesus, begins to take hold in your heart, these are the things that begin to be manifested. This is hard for us, even in church culture, particularly in America, uh, because we are so Theologized and I'm not saying theology is bad like I wouldn't have a job if it wasn't the for theology like don't hear me say what I'm not saying I'm not saying like theology is unimportant. But what I am saying is this is that we are accustomed to um, Christians have these types of stances on these types of issues Christians oppose these types of things Christians are advocating for these types of things. This is what Christians believe about, uh, name any theological term, dispensationalism, revelation, like we've got all all of these clubs set up in our mind of like, this is where mature spirituality gets measured. And what Paul is saying is the formula for you being in Christ, for you living in this resurrected reality with Jesus is incredibly simple it's incredibly freeing. Paul uses the word freedom in Christ. I think most of us are scared of our freedom in Christ. Most of us want to fit ourselves back under some kind of standard, some kind of hierarchy, some kind of rule-based system. We long to go back to uh, being restricted. And Paul writes the entire book of Galatians and also Romans, which is actually a second part of Galatians, encouraging and admonishing his churches. Hey, don't go back to living under restrictions. Don't go back to living under fear. Don't go back to living with this fragmented mind. You are free in Christ. You are a new creation. This new creation that Jesus starts on the eighth day when he rises from the dead. This is Easter. You are now participating in it. You are now among it. This is why Jesus has a physical body when he is raised from the dead. What Jesus is, as Paul says, is a first first fruit, he'll say in Galatians you are now participating in this resurrected reality with Jesus. And while we wait for its culmination and its final appearance uh, at the end of all things when Jesus returns, what he is saying is this power is available to you now. Do you want to know what it looks like? It looks like love and joy and peace and patience and kindness and gentleness manifesting in your life and being evident in your spirit. Against these things, Paul says, there is no law. You don't have to fear any kind of judgment. You don't have to fear overlooking something that God wants you to not be overlooking. You don't have to fear your standing anymore. Because in these things, you are in Christ. You are a new creation. And Paul says these are the things uh, that you cling to and look to and long for to know where you stand with God to know how he views you. This radical acceptance of Jesus means that you're not a good person or a bad one. You're neither a failure nor a success. Rather, you are in Christ, and being in Christ, you are a new creation, and there's a profound sense of freedom to live your life that way. This profound sense of freedom um, you know, it's common for me to have conversations with with people as a pastor. Like, what does God want me to do here? What's, what's his will for me here? And I will always go back to this passage. Does this produce love? Does this produce joy? Does it produce gentleness, patience, long-suffering, and kindness in you? It's a way, it's a metric by which you can evaluate decisions. It's a metric by which you can look at um, what's the right thing to do in a gray space. It's the way in uh, which you can h- let the Spirit guide your life by looking at these things and knowing, okay, this is where I think God might be leading me. This is very different than our n- our current Christianity's cultural approach to, to how we make decisions as Christians. we got to find the right verse that justifies or does not justify our position on reproductive rights or, or find our verse or not our verse that justifies our position on sexuality and gender or family roles. Was going to find that verse and then I'm going to use that verse as a linchpin or foundation to advocate for this position which I then will argue is indisputable and, 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 and completely defensible based on my interpretation of that particular text. But what Paul is saying is it's love and joy and peace. This is how you'll know, especially in those gray spaces, as you navigate life, as you navigate parenting and marriage, as you navigate being a co-worker, as you navigate life being a student, looking for the love, the fruit of the Spirit against which there is no law, is this freedom in Christ that you have to live and explore your life. Let me pray for us, uh, and we'll we'll go to communion and worship today. Well, Father, we need you. Um, We need your spirit. We need your mercy. We need your guidance. Father, we need your help. Father, we need to know what it means to have freedom in your spirit. Most of us are accustomed to living under some kind of restriction, some kind of rule. Father, we're not used to grace that's given so freely and so radically, despite our mistakes and our shortcomings and our fears and our insecurities and our doubts. Father, we are used to a a kind of religion that restricts and controls that leaves us often anxious and fragmented in our hearts and in our minds, not sure where we stand with you or how we stand with you. So, Father, would you be with us? Would you help us? Would you give us the gift of your spirit? We need you. We pray all of these things in your name. Amen.